Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. Welcome into episode 173 of the Toolshed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross, and with me, as usual, is my 80 grade co host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, you ready to dive into the always fun outfield position today? Yeah, it's a blast. When I was just looking over the, especially the dynasty rankings, just like the top is just absolutely loaded, and obviously more prospects on the way. So it, it's actually a good thing because the position actually does bottom out of it. I've noticed, especially in redraft leagues this year, I'm like, oh, like I really hate outfield like after pick 150. So there certainly needs like some you know, people coming in, some reinforcements is the word I'm looking for. And we'll get that soon with some prospects. So we're going to talk about the prospects in this episode. And then we'll have another episode with the dynasty ranks as well. So looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, the prospects is going to be fun to really break down. Yeah, I kind of agree that we, we need that next wave, right? Like the previous wave. And we know, obviously, we've had some outfielders come up since that last wave that I'm gonna, about to mention. But like, you know, like the Acuna wave, like that wave a few years ago, we've kind of we need that next wave. And I think we're going to get it this year, you know, with the likes of Corbin Carroll, with the likes of like Sal Frelick and, and all these other guys. Um, and then we get that next wave, too. Like Jordan Walker will be up as well. Uh, those types, and then get that next wave below them, the guys that are a bit younger, the Cheerios, the Woods, you know, Pete Crow Armstrongs, and probably Colton Cowser this this year as well. So a lot of fun talent comes in kind of separate waves in our prospect rankings, good mix of near proximity guys and the younger, you know, upside plays that are in the lower minors. So this is going to be a lot of fun. And I, as we did with shortstop, we're only doing prospects, for this episode, we'll do the Outfield Dynasty rankings discussion in our third episode of this week on Friday. And, of course, go back and check out our episode from Monday where, where we had Jesse Roche and Chris Welsh on for our FYPD mock draft. A lot of fun stuff this week. But before we get into everything today, the usual housekeeping, you can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm at Eric Cross 4 And our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out my Patreon for more work from me and Chris's Substack for more work from him. And make sure to check out all the other great stuff that Fantrax and Fantrax HQ have to offer. 2023 Fantasy Baseball Leagues are open. All of them, best balls, draft and holes, classic drafts, everything. And got a couple more things in the works as well. And our 2023 Fantasy Baseball Draft Kit kicked off last week. A lot of good stuff in there. Sleepers and busts, rankings, mock drafts, strategy, dynasty and prospect stuff. All that good stuff. So check that out as well. All right. Let's hop right into the rankings here. Let's go 10 at a time. Chris, who are your top 10 dynasty outfield prospect rankings? All right. So kicking off at the top is Corbin Carroll, to no surprise, followed by Jordan Walker and Jackson Churio. James Wood and Drew Jones round out the fifth spot. Then six through 10 is Colton Kowser, Jason Dominguez, Evan Carter, Elijah Green, and Pete Crow Armstrong. How about you? So we have the exact same top six, which is not really, you know, too much of a surprise. Well, I think top five are pretty universal. You know, number guy we have at six, not nearly as universal, but he's up there as well. But so I also have Carroll, Walker, Churio, Wood, Jones, and Cowser as my top six. Seven through ten. I think we actually have the same group of four, just different order. We go, actually, we have it exactly flip-flopped. You went Son, Carter, Green, PCA. I go Pete Carr Armstrong, side, Elijah Green, 8, Evan Carter, 9, and Jason Dominguez at 10. So same 10, just different order on the back half. But let's start up there with Corbin Carroll. I am so excited for Corbin Carroll. You know, he's one of the few prospects I think has a legit shot of, you know, eventually if everything breaks right and he reaches his ceiling or close to it, has a potential to be a fantasy first rounder or at least a fantasy second rounder with the power speed blend that he should, you know, brings to the table. And that's something we all kind of talked about, you know, coming into 2022, right? Like, all right, we, I think we both had him probably right around 10 ish, give or take a few spots either way. 
And our prospect rankings coming into this past year, we're like, all right, if that power comes along that we know he has in the tank, he's going to really shoot up, maybe be number one overall. And look what happened. 307, 425, 611 slash line in 442 play appearances between double A and triple A. 22 bombs, excuse me, 22 doubles, 24 bombs, 31 steals, only caught five times. Walk rate well over 10% as well. Kept the K rate under 25%. So, man, Chris, Corbin Carroll has all the makings of maybe being, you know, this might be a lofty, but everything breaks right. This could be the next Trey Turner or close to it. Yeah, and I think people are kind of like saying the power is not there. But I'm here to tell you that that's just not the case with Corbin Carroll. He, yeah, he, I mean, to an extent, his his home run power definitely played up. Last year, he played out in the PCL. And both the Diamondbacks double and triple A affiliates are hitter friendly. But that's not to say that he didn't hit the ball hard. In the minors, he had a 90 mile an hour average exit velo and a 106.2 90th percentile. So, for reference, when you look like Emmanuel Rodriguez, one that scorches baseballs, and they had the same 90th percentile EV you know, within a couple points there so you know 106.2 to 106.3 like very similar across the board that we see and we're talking about somebody that hits the ball really really hard Carroll has elite plate discipline he is the fastest runner in baseball that was proven by StatCast last year in a short sample in the majors he had the fastest sprint speed he does really everything you'd like to see a player do for fantasy purposes when we're talking about you know hitting the ball hard and yes, you can, if you want to nitpick his small sample of major league stats, he has max EV of 107.5, wasn't great. But as I said, his 90th percentile was nearly what that was. And that's well above major league average last year. And then his average EV last year, it's just not a big enough sample to judge somebody. He had a 47.5 hard hit percentage last year in the minors. And ballpark doesn't affect that. Like a ballpark isn't going to make him hit the ball harder. Therefore, Carroll has proved he's capable of hitting the ball very hard and that he can get to plenty of contact. He has good contact rates, doesn't chase often at all, and he's got the speed. So I probably look at him as a hitter who gives you 20 to 25 home runs in a 25, probably in like a peak season, and then has the capability of stealing 30 bases with ease. And I think that you can look and see that he's going to have seasons where he can hit 280, 290, and maybe even approach 300. So you said the Trey Turner comp, and I think that's fair. But at the same time, he's so young, so I'm going to give him time to develop. But this year, I'm even have high expectations for him. Like this is a profile that you want for fantasy. So Carol, yeah. all about it. Yeah, I, I'm definitely in, fully in everywhere, including redraft. Like the 80, I haven't looked in a little bit. The ADP the last time I looked was like what in the 65, 70 ish range. I'm fine with that, especially if, if you have you know. A few guys on your team already feel safe about you. All right, I can go a little bit of an upside play here. Totally fine with Carroll. And yeah, I think there's going to be yeah, the, those stats you mentioned, I think are pretty much right where I'm at with him. And I think he's going to be you know near the top of the order guy. He's a, this is a guy that's going to score a ton of runs with his on-base abilities, his speed. This is a guy that's going to be one of the league leaders in runs scored annually, even on a Arizona team that's probably could be you know maybe a middle of the pack offense you know maybe it can get better over time but this is a guy that could st- score a ton of runs even on a middle of the pack offense and bringing everything else to the table so yeah I am all in that's why I have him number one over Gunner who I love Gunner as well but just the upside with Carroll is something that I don't think Gunner Henderson can quite reach and I think the floors of the two are similar so that's why I go Carroll over Gunner in my overall prospect rankings here then right at two. We have Jordan Walker. We discussed him a bit in our third base episode as well. But long term, this is probably where he ends up. So we included him here. And then 3-4, Jackson Churio, James Wood, two of the bigger breakout prospects. It's injured, not even from this position specifically, but just in general last year, what they were able to do. Such a young age, and Churio even reaching double A for a little bit, end of the season. How high do you think these two can rise, Chris? I mean, just like for dynasty rankings overall. Obviously, they're already you know, top eight right now for prospects. But do you think these are two guys that could also be considered like maybe top 25 overall dynasty talents down the road? I certainly see that upside. 
in both of them. I mean, Walker obviously proving it that he's capable of getting to power and getting to speed. And we saw on full display that Walker was by and far the best player in the AFL. And I don't think there was any questioning that. He like knew that. too. Like he knew it too. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was no doubt. But I mean, he does everything you want to see. He does have a little bit of chase in the swing, but at the end of the day, like I'm not overly worried about that. He was young. I mean, he was 20 years old and he was dominating double A, you know, slash 306, 388, 510. The interesting thing is that he only hit 19 home runs and people are probably like, like, how did he only hit 19 home runs? He stole 22 bases, which is nuts. But he does have the sprint speed. In the AFL on StatCast, he was clocked at 29.9 feet per second, which is elite. Let me pull that up on Savant real quick and just tell you how good that would have been. Last year, that would have been tied with O'Neill Cruz for 12th fastest sprint speed in baseball. So we're looking at like upper-tier sprint speed, or at least high-end sprint speed, and his exit velos are through the roof. I mean, in the AFL, he had a 111.190th percentile. It, that's nuts. That wasn't his max. He had so many hard-hit balls over 110 miles an hour in the AFL. It was just insane. So he's going to get to 30 home runs with ease, and I think he can steal 10 to 15 bases with ease as well. I'm probably not profiling him as a 300 hitter, but I still think he can hit 270. Yeah. And I'll take that all day if you hit 270 and give me 30-15. That's an excellent fantasy player. And with Churio, it's a pretty similar thing. I mean, he did stuff as an 18-year-old that no prospect's done in a long time. I mean, he had 160 WRC plus in low A. It was the highest by an 18-year-old in low A since John Carlos Stanton did it. He bumped all the way to double A as an 18-year-old. Hit 20 home runs, good slash line for the year. He did tail off a bit towards the end of the season, but he was in double A as an 18-year-old. I mean, right. <laughs> I think there's some pass there. There's a bit of chase, and Churio so far has gotten away with being the best player on the field at the lower levels, but I think he's going to be in for a good challenge at double A, and it'll be telling. But I do think the upside is potentially there for him to to be the number one prospect in baseball and then be a high-end dynasty asset as well. And when we say 18, like he was closer to 17 to 19. Let's put it that yeah. way too, because yeah. he was his birthday is March 11th. So yeah, half birthday is what that big is, September 11th. So yeah, he was closer to 17 than 19. So it, that's just absolutely crazy to get up to. And it was just for six games, and he only went two for 23 in those six games, but not worried about that at all. You know, the one thing, you know, there's a little bit of swing and miss to his game, but again, Young for every level he's been at by a country mile. So it's something definitely can work on over time. All the upside is there. Him and James Wood, man, those are two super exciting players. James Wood looks like he should be playing, you know, outside linebacker or NBA power forward, something like that. The dude is just six seven of strength and speed and athleticism. Stole 20 bags in just 76 games. And no, I don't think that is going to continue. And a lot of that had a, you know, was because of low A. But at the same time, there is solid speed and athleticism here where I think he could be a, a double digit steal guy, at least early on in his career. I think that power is only going to continue to rise. 12 home runs, 27 doubles in 76 games, 536 slug, 233 ISO, showed a good approach as well, which is very encouraging for a guy his size. And I want to see how, you know, that approach kind of looks moving forward because it was just low A pitching. I want to see how more advanced pitching, you know, tends to expose that larger frame, the longer limbs, you know, the bigger strike zone. So we'll see how that continues. But what everything he's shown so far is extremely promising. Uh, And even going over to the NAT system was very good over there as well end of the season. Not quite as good of a slash run there, but still, like James Wood, no doubt top 10 overall prospect, and really excited to see what he can do in high A and maybe even double A this year. If he's a double A, I look at the schedule because the Nats double A team is in the same league as the Red Sox double A, which is one I get to go to a lot. So hopefully, maybe they play later in the season. I might be able to get some uh, sneaky looks at James Wood this year, but that's just me being selfish. We'll see. But yeah, this is a very, very exciting top of the rankings here. Like I said, all of our top five are inside our top 10 overall. I think do you have Drew Jones top 10 overall, Chris. He's just outside. He's at 13. Okay. So 
Now, for me, I have Drew Jones at 10, so all five of these are in top 10, and then Drew Jones just outside for Chris. But yeah, these are very, very exciting players here. Let's move on to that second kind of, we'll call it the second tier of outfield prospects here. And it's a really good mix of players. Like you got, you know, Kowser is close. You know, PCA is kind of close as well. Jason got the double A last year. And then you got the young guy like Elijah Green, Evan Carter, kind of on the similar trajectory as Jason Dominguez here. But Colton Kowser is the one that's going to be up soon. Maybe, I don't, probably not opening day, but we'll probably see him. If we don't see him by the all-star break, I would be extremely shocked. You know, this is a guy that got up to AAA last year for 27 games, was in AA for 49, high A for 62, overall slash 278, 406, 469, 36 doubles, 19 home runs, 18 steals, only caught three times, and also walked at a 15% clip as well. A little bit of swing and miss in the profile, but the power speed is there. And I think he's going to be a you know, very high OBP guy as well. Maybe 25 to 30 home run, being the 20 steal or something like that, if everything breaks right for him. So very excited personally about Colton Kowser. Yeah, same. I mean, he he proved that it didn't matter where he played college ball. I think people questioned about him yep. you know, playing at Sam Houston State, not getting great competition. But he was good when they played you know, higher up competition in college too. I mean, being in Texas, they played Texas and Texas A&M and Texas Tech, and he performed well against those. So I'm not surprised to really see him make this kind of jump. And, I mean, he hit the ball hard. He makes good zone contact. He doesn't chase. He kind of just does everything you want to want to see a hitter do. And I think he's going to be a sneaky, like, 2020-type threat. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him and I don't know how much room he has to really grow as far as like moving up prospect rankings. Obviously it's going to move up as he as people graduate, but he should be graduating. He could graduate this year too. And I think the the OBP numbers are going to be really good too. So you play an OBP league like 2020 feels like a decent bet for Kowser. And then I think the batting average will be decent, but also factor in the OBP skills and we're just looking at a really good prospect in, in Colton Kowser. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love what Baltimore is building there. It's going to be a really fun lineup. I want to see how, especially in the, in, in the infield, how they slot everybody. And it's overall, it's going to be a pretty good lineup, one through nine, or at least on paper. Obviously, we'll see how it plays out. But speaking of moving up rankings here, Jason Dominguez, I know, Chris, you're a little bit higher on Dominguez than I am. I, I like Dominguez you know, quite a bit. You like him a bit more than that. Do you see... Well, first off, where do you have Dominguez in your overall right now? And given, you know, his upward trajectory, the profile, you know, the players ahead of him currently that are probably graduate off the list this year, do you see a future by the end of the 2023 season where Jason Dominguez is ranked top 10 overall? I think so. And I think that people are, the expectations are just were way too high when he entered the league. I mean, when you're getting comp to players like, Mike Trout, Mickey Mantle, and Bo Jackson all combined into one player, I think anything's just going to be a major disappointment. So I think that he had a solid year. Looking at you know the age and also the fact that he was set back a bit by the pandemic year, so he technically would probably have spent more of the year in AA if not for that hat, like for the pandemic happening that really you know yeah. set, set his debut back. And you just kind of look across the board, and his numbers were solid, but he finished the year with a 273, 376, 461 slash, 16 home runs, 37 stolen bases. Pretty solid, and he still moves well, despite the fact that he's bulked up a good bit. And he turned 19 at the very beginning of the season. So for a 19-year-old that started in low A and then spent you know, a good portion of the year in high A, he I know he got to double A, but I was after the the high season it ended. But I would say that you call that a success. Now, his AFL was disappointing, but at some point it's just like some of the guys just don't care to be there. And you hate to say that, but that could have been the case. And I didn't come away disappointed with Dominguez at all. I didn't come away wild by him either. But for what he did during the season, I was pretty impressed. You look and he, he posted excellent exit velocities across the board. I mean, 106 mile an hour 90th is, is really, really good. 
Maybe question the contact skills. He had an 80% zone contact, which is really solid for a, a player his age. He didn't chase that often. Hits the ball hard. And he still has the speed element too. So I think Dominguez is going to get to more home run power. Just a matter of, of time. He did hit the ball on the ground a, a bit too much in low A. But we saw kind of down the stretch where he began to lift it a little bit more and you know, hit more fly balls, which was helpful. And I really think that he's just going to blossom this year. I still think the top 10 upside's there. And I think he's still a buy low because I have him at 17 overall. And it seems like a lot of people are still out on him. And some everybody jumped off after he sucked in 2021. People just haven't got back on board, even though I think his year was really good. Yeah, no, it, it definitely was. And you know, we were able to get some live looks at him in out in the AFL and where he was, you know, he was he was okay. Didn't didn't wow me, but at least he he was it was fun just to get some looks at him. And I was even able to get two looks at him this past season as well in double A, where he only played a total of was like twelve games or so. But you know, a lot of that was here in Portland. So that was that was great to see. Get a look at him there as well. And yeah, the we that's why we need to pump the brakes a bit on these international guys, right? Like so all we have is, you know, are these backfield videos from the DR or Venezuela or Cuba, whatever they're from. And that's just not a lot to go on. Yeah, that can show you, all right, they got some solid raw power, but that's all you really can can get from these guys. And yeah, some analysts are able to get down there, like, like a Ben Badler, for example, but we just don't have a lot of good, solid info on these guys, even compared to like high school bats from, from the United States. So that's why, like, you know, when Chris and I were putting out our, our team prospect rankings and, you know, they're like, we get comments like, oh, this guy's going to be ranked super highly. I'm like, yeah, he could. But it's just so hard that we pump the brakes. Like, look at the other two, for like the big three from Dominguez's international class of 2019, where it was him and then the, the next two were Robert Poisson and Eric Pena, both of which didn't even make, I don't think either one of us had either one of them in their respective team's top 20, which is insane. Like Poisson and Pena have both fallen off hard, and that's the case for, you know, a lot of these, like, and, and you'll see the, you know, like a Churio wasn't like a super highly, you know, he was, you know, a decent international prospect when he signed, but I don't think he signed for a ton of money. You see all these guys that didn't sign for a ton break out and a lot of the bigger, you know, two, three, four, five million dollar signings often don't. It's just such a crapshoot with these guys. So yeah, pump the brakes with them. Yeah, they're exciting and they're, you know, the shiny new toy. They get added into FYPD rankings and, you know, in a few weeks here, or a couple weeks actually. But yeah, let's just pump the brakes on these guys and not go super high on them because I've I've learned to you know, kind of scale it back a little bit. And yeah, they're like, you know, Celestin's exciting this year, but who knows? Like he could fall off easily. We just don't know with these guys. So yeah, pump the brakes with with these guys. And but Jason is one where yeah, the hype was way too much as Chris mentioned, but he's showing that his you know, prospect growth is not linear. And he's starting to really put together a nice, well-rounded profile here. So it's going to be fun to see him more this upcoming year in AA, get some more live looks at him because, yeah, he is definitely a fun player for sure. Now, real quick, Chris, with, with this group here, I know you know you recently put Evan Carter as your number one prospect from the Texas Rangers org, bumping him ahead of Josh Young. Who do you see, you know, end of the year? Do you see Carter jumping ahead of Dominguez? How high do you see Carter getting in these in your rankings here? They're one spot apart, so yeah, I could certainly see Carter, you know, being very. I, I think they're similar, probably long term, but Carter, I think, has more power that he can get to. He already posted solid exit velocities and hard hit rates, but just not as consistently, I, I guess, as Dominguez. And the high end DVs weren't quite there, but you look at the contact skills. And Carter's definitely got the edge. Carter makes much better zone contact. He, his chase rate was 10% lower last year. The overall contact rate was six or six percent higher. It's just across the board. Carter has a better feel for contact. And usually you can kind of trust those guys to develop a little bit smoother. And you look at Carter's frame, and I think there's still plenty of room for him to add. I mean, he's he's a pretty big guy, but just without the the weight on him. So I could see him really adding a few pounds this offseason and it really helping him jump, you know, from the power department. 
Last year, I think he hit 12 home runs. Yeah, 12 home runs, but he had 43 extra base hits. So I think there's some of those doubles could turn to home runs. I saw him this year, and I really think he was the best player I saw all year. Like, other than Walker in the AFL, I really think Evan Carter was the best player I saw in the regular season. So, elite in center field, good arm, incredible hit tool, steals bases with ease. I think the power will come. So, I'm all about Evan Carter. And I think that, I mean, I would say his floor is much higher than Dominguez, but Dominguez has the more upside. Yeah, that's probably fair. I would definitely agree with that. And that's high praise. You know, Chris and I got to try to get to a lot of games this year. I saw a lot of a lot of fun players and saying that, you know, outside of Walker, that was the best player Chris saw. That is definitely high praise for sure. And the, and the last two guys in this tier before we hit the break here are about as different as you could probably be in terms of prospect profiles. You know, we have Pete Crow Armstrong, who I definitely think is very underrated. He's one of those profiles that doesn't wow you but he hits for a high average there's a solid approach well doesn't draw a ton of walks but not not a terrible walk rate either that keeps the k rate in check it was a little over it was about 21 22 percent this past year and he just racked up the extra base hits 20 doubles 10 triples 16 bombs he's probably not more than like a 15 ish home run guy but who knows you know that could you know wrigley field you know wind blowing out there maybe he could you know run into 18 to 20 some years Probably not more than that. It's probably best case scenario. You know, good runner as well, 20 plus steals. So I think this would be a sneaky all around profile there for PCA and one that you know, he got up to high A this past year, did pretty well there. So probably, I guess, starts at double A this upcoming year as a, he'll be 21 in late March. So he's still fairly young for all the levels he's at as well. And then Elijah Green, man, like, some of the best raw tools that we've seen in a while that doesn't always translate to success and performance, obviously, but you know, you've seen, you know, various places put 70 grades on power, speed, arm, you know, it's like, it's ridiculous, but the linchpin here, the X factor is, is he going to keep the K rate in check, make enough contact to maximize his immense raw tools and, he might have the highest ceiling on this list. And that even includes Corbin Carroll. Like his ceiling is just as high or even higher than Corbin Carroll. This is like if everything clicks, reaches, you know, 100th percentile outcome or even like 90th percentile outcome, Elijah Green is an early round fantasy beast. So, you know, got a little bit of time in last year in the complex level, 52 PAs, you know, hit 302, two home runs and a steal with four doubles. Did strike out 20, 21 times, though. But he's one I'm really excited to see what he can do in his first full year. Probably back in rookie ball for a bit. Maybe he gets the low A second half of the year. We'll see how he does. But, yeah, very excited for Green. He's another one that he could be a number one overall prospect someday. Yeah, I think he, and I wrote in my prospect write-ups that he was the biggest wild card in the top 25. But yep. he has the potential to be the number one prospect, like, fairly soon i mean the tools are through the, the roof the athleticism is elite he has effortless plus power and, and speed as well if he can make contact then he'll be okay and we've seen him go through ups and downs throughout his prep career where he struggled with contact and he made adjustments so i think that it's highly possible that he makes the necessary adjustments and then ends up fine i mean we are talking about a kid in high school and not only in high school, but he played at IMG, which IMG, if you don't know, is a school where you, ba it's like a boarding school where basically like you move away from your family and go and just play sports there. So the thing that I like about Green from that somewhat, James Wood also went there, is that you're already adjusting and like doing life on your own you know, sooner than you typically would. Typically, typical prep guy would. Yeah. So for Green, I do think he'll be fine to make that adjustment. And he'll be good overall. I mean, his debut in Complex was really stout. So I hope it continues. I think he could be the number one prospect in baseball someday because I think that the raw power is a seven and the speed's a seven as well. Yep. So it's just wild what he could do. Yeah, absolutely wild. All right, that wraps up the, the top tens here. We're going to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Support for Fantrax Toolshed is brought to you by Manscaped, who's best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle 
the performance package. So join over 7 million men worldwide who trust this exclusive offer for you. 20% off plus free worldwide shipping using the code toolshed at manscaped.com. The performance 4.0 package has arrived and oh man, it's a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, the crop preserver deodorant, the crop reviver toner, the performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all of your goodies. The lawnmower 4.0 is a future of grooming and dare I say, the greatest trimmer ever. I'm blown away by its performance and its craftsmanship. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and has a 4000K LED spotlight that you need for your most precise shaves because it's waterproof. You can use it in the shower. You thought that was great, but they want to take your grooming game even further with the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides the same proprietary skin safe technology to reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in your delicate nose holes. Crop Preserver Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Toner will change the way you approach your daily hygiene routine. And then Manscaped will even throw in two free gifts in the Performance 4.0 package, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. It's time to take care of yourself. Get some new tools for your shed. Go to manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping today using the code TOOLSHED. All right, welcome back from the break. Let's get into the next set of 10 of our outfield prospect rankings here. For me, that is Zach Veen, Robert Hassel III, Joey Weimer, Sal Frelick, and Emmanuel Rodriguez, 11 through 15, 16 through 20, Sedan Rafaela, Kevin Alcantara, Chase DeLauder, Luis Matos, and my namesake, Gavin Cross, at 20. Chris, who you got? All right. So, number 11 is Zach Veen, followed by Robert Hassel III, Emmanuel Rodriguez, Sal Frelick, and Oscar Colas at 15. And 16 through 20, hanging on here while everybody else jumps off with George Valera, Luis Matos, Brennan Davis, Estery Ruiz, and Aaron Zavala at 20. A lot of fun names here. Good good mix of names, too. Like Estery Ruiz, the rankings on him are kind of all over the place right now. Same, like, as you mentioned, with George Valera, Brennan Davis, Luis Matos, even. So this is really where, like, you know, the top 10 are, you know, pretty chalk for the most part here. But this is where things really start kind of switching up here. Like, for instance, you know, I have Weimer at 13. Chris has him at 30, for instance. You know, this is where and Chris has Valera at 16. I have Valera at 32. Obviously, Chris is being OBP-focused. Valera does have a nice bump there. So that's partially the reason why. But And then Rafaela I have at... 16 and Chris has at 27. So yeah, this is really where the rankings start jumping around a bit here. But starting with, you know, the top two, Veen and Hassel, we both have at 11 and 12. It's hard to really put a value on these guys right now because both of them were probably ranked higher, especially Hassel was absolutely ranked higher coming into this year, but definitely struggled, especially later on in the year after going to Washington as part of the return package for Juan Soto, you know, struggled to the tune of a, I was pulling it up here in double a in the Nat system hit only 222, 312, 396, one home run in 122 plate appearances here. Are you, how confident are you in hassle bouncing back? Like right now, I think I moved him down. He's in the 30 for me right now. Do you see a path to him kind of returning to, you know, top 20 status this year, Chris? I think so. I ultimately, and I'm just going to rant for a second. I think there's way too much groupthink in the fantasy community. It took one person saying that Robert Hassel had poor EVs and people didn't even see the EV numbers and they jumped off board like completely. It's, it's kind of baffling to me because if you look from like an average EV standpoint, yeah, it wasn't great. 85.3, but Zach Veen had an 86.2 and everybody didn't freak out about him. Right. So it's not like when you're hitting the ball that soft, it's really doesn't matter whether it's 85 or 86 mile an hour. That's just not they're Neither of them are great. But what Hassel does is make good zone contact. He's a great field to hit. He doesn't chase. He makes good overall contact and there's speed. So if Robert Hassel 
can get to 15 home run power, which I think he can. I, I genuinely do. When we talked to Robert Hassel, he had such a game plan for how he would continue to develop his game. He was a great interview. And to me, he looks like he still has projectable power. Yeah, he's 21, so he needs to show it sooner than later. But at 6'2", 195, I could see him adding at least 10 more pounds of muscle, and that gives him a good bit. I mean, we're talking about someone who, in he hit 10 home runs in the first half of the year in high A with San Diego. So he went 10 home runs, 20 stolen bases with a 299 average and a 380 OBP. And I guarantee you nobody was fading him then. It wasn't until one person said he had bad EVs and everybody jumped off. I mean, yes, there's some flaws, 100%. He hits the ball on the ground too much. He, he doesn't have the best power in the world. But I still think that he can get to 15 home runs. I think he can steal 25 bases. So to me, it reminds me of a Whit Merrifield light profile. And you know how high Whit Merrifield has gone in fantasy drafts and the value that he brings to the table. It's important to remember, and I heard Michael Richards say this on Chris Welsh's Prospect One pod, and it just really clicked me. I was like, look, because I've kind of, he was talking about Esri Ruiz, who I've kind of like, yeah, like his numbers suck too, like his data. But Michael said, we play a fantasy game and it's about the numbers. And at the end of the day, like, while Hassel isn't providing much power, he's providing numbers across the board and stolen bases and batting average. I'm willing to give him a pass completely because we're talking about a kid that had to move across the country and was traded for one of the best players of our generation in Juan Soto. There's a lot of pressure in Washington. This will be a big year for him. I think it's make or break, but I think Hassel could have a good year and still be a really solid player. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think there is, you know, we could say that we went too high on him. You know, I am definitely guilty of that, maybe even more guilty than most. I had him inside my top five at one point, and yeah, admittedly, looking back, 20, hindsight's twenty twenty, that was way too high. But at the same time, there's still a solid all-around profile here, like Chris mentioned. You know, everything that he had to go through, and he's still pretty young as well. Hassel is, he's still 21 years old. So I saw like he's 22, 23, 24, still very young, got up to AA as a 20-year-old last year. And yeah, I think there's going to be a, a very good all-around profile, and that's, that's good, you know, thinking on, you know, the production versus metrics. And yeah, we love seeing those sexy metrics, right? We love going to savant pages and the seeing everything lit up in red, but that doesn't always translate as we've seen. Like, you know, two perfect examples are like Max Kepler. You know, savant page usually pretty damn impressive, but as we all know, the overall performance has not really been that great or, or consistent. And then look at other guys like, you know, like the Aussie Albies of the world, the Lindors of the world, well, their metrics are decent. You know, you look at what they've done overall in terms of their surface stats, and you would think that their metrics are better than they are. So those two things don't always correlate, and especially with, with prospects as well. You know, overall, if we get 15 home runs or so and 20-plus steals from Hassel with a decent average in OBP, yeah, I think he's going to be just fine and probably be one of those guys that will be underrated more often than not for fantasy. You know, I think there could be pretty similar profiles here or values i should say long term with him and veen like you know veen i think has the higher upside like i still think there's more power in the tank obviously he'll have course field giving him a nice boost overall with, with the bad bip and you know with the speed here like you think that all right 2021 all right he was in low a you know quality of catchers and, and pitchers aren't great down there the rules etc but he kept running you know he's not he has not stopped running and he's just wreaking havoc on the base pass. We saw that out in the AFL as well, where he set the single season AFL steals record out there. Overall, if you combine double A or excuse me, the minor leagues and the AFL, he had 71 steals in 147 games. People are going, you know, bonkers over the stolen base total for Ruiz and Bean wasn't too far behind him overall, more only like 12 behind, but where he ends up, you know, long term in terms of steals, I don't know. I think he can definitely be. You know, at one point I'm like, all right, he's going to be 10 to 15. Obviously, that's changed. I think he's more. You know, I still don't know if he's going to be like 30 plus annually, but definitely over 20 at this point. Maybe 25 to 30. Who knows? If he keeps running, like the speed is there. I still think there's more power in the tank. So this is a guy that, if everything clicks and that power comes along finally in games, you know, any. You know, cuts down the K's a little bit as well, though. 
he did fairly decently with that. Wasn't terrible this past year. I think this is a guy that could, you know, jump back up into the top 15 or so if everything clicks. And so I got some room on his frame, 6'4", 190. We saw he's, you know, definitely has some room to bulk up, you know, a bit here moving forward. Yeah, so I think Veen's at the higher upside, maybe a little bit higher floor for Hassel. But overall, I think these are two solid, you know, buy, you know, buy low opportunities in Dynasty Leagues for sure. And then after them, Emmanuel Rodriguez, so you have him at 13. I have him at 15. This is a guy, we mentioned it before, you know, if he didn't miss around half of the season due to injury, he's, there's a pretty good chance that he might have been top 10 in, right in that second tier that we discussed right before the break with the likes of, you know, Kowser and Dominguez and, and PCA and all them. Because look at what he did in low A before he got hurt. And actually, it's more than half the season he missed. He only had 47 games. 272, 493, 552 slash, nine home runs, 11 steals, and more walks than strikeouts. 57 walks to 52 Ks. How high do you see him rising? You know, not not just for outfield prospects, but overall. Do you do you see, you know, Erod getting up to you know maybe top 20 overall by the end of the year? Yeah, I would say I was going to say 25, but I think 20 is pretty comfortable. I mean, scorches the baseballs as you mentioned. The plate discipline's really good. Chase rate was. 11.9% last year, which is just silly to even say. It's insane. Like, for, and especially for a guy that is showing as much power as he did as well. Like that, that combination of approach and power is just very, especially for a 19 year old, too, no less. Yeah, exactly. I think he would have already vaulted even higher if not for the injury, as you said. But if he can come back strong from that, then I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, really take that step and be a top 25 guy. I really, I'm all in on Emmanuel Rodriguez. Yeah, definitely go out and get as many shares of Emmanuel Rodriguez as you can because yeah, he's definitely one that is going to rise rankings here. Much higher chance he rises than falls in rankings. Another guy, you know, guy I think is a great buyer right now, Luis Matos. You know, we saw there was you know a lot of issues with him last year. He had an injury and illness as well. And look at he got back to later in the year as similar to the Matos we saw in 2021 that vaulted him up into many people's top 25s. So I think definitely he's a good buy low as well. Let's keep moving with our rankings here as we get a lot of other good discussion points here. Chris, who you got 21 through 30? All right. So to the FYPD guys, top the list, Gavin Cross and Chase DeLouder, then Gabriel Gonzalez, Kevin Alcantara, Spencer Jones at 25, then followed by Miguel Blyce, Sedan Rafaela from both Red Sox, then Heston Kerstad, Will Brennan and Joey Weimer at a 30 spot. So for me, I have Esther Ruiz, Alexander Canario, Brennan Davis, Oscar Colas, Miguel Blais at 25, 26 to 30, Gabriel Gonzalez, Dustin Harris, Spencer Jones, Aaron Zavala, and Andy Pajes there. And again, I have Valera at 32, so not too far off here as well. So Joey Weimer is very interesting here again we are you know 13 ah, 13 going on 30 huh that's good for the rankings here i don't know why i just thought of that reference but so with weimer i can 100 percent see why there is a wide range of rankings on weimer obviously the upside is very exciting but the floor is also low there's a wide range of outcomes here with joey weimer the reason why i still have him as highly as I do, and then and I'll give it over to Chris to, to explain his ranking on him, is because he showed it, end of last year. Now I was dropping him, you know, June, July. I was dropping Weimer down my rankings, but then he really picked. You know, the the approach got so much better late in the season. He trimmed his K rate by in half. Now he, he almost walked more than he struck out down the stretch, and yeah. It was only, actually, no, he did walk more than he struck out down the stretch, 12.8% to 12.1%, you know, and down to 25.5% K rate in August, where he was above 30% in May, June, and July. Walk rate jumped as well. And yeah, it was one month, you know, not a huge sample size by any means, but I don't, and I'm not projecting him to hit for a super high average or have a lofty OBP, you know, but with, how hard he hits the ball, I think he can you know, run, a, and with a speed as well, I think he can run a little bit of a higher BABIP than most and still be you know in that 250 range, and that could bring, I think, 25-plus home runs, 
15 plus steals. Like the upside is there. So you look at some of the things he's been able to do over the last couple of years. He's one of three players, Anthony Volpe and Carl, excuse me, Cade Marlowe being the other two, to have back to back 20, 20 years. He was one of 10 prospects last year with 30 plus doubles, 20 plus runs, and 15 plus steals. So that's why I still have him pretty highly. And yeah, this could come back to bite me if the approach really limits him more than I believe it could. But I still have a lot of hope in Joey Weimer being a, an impactful fantasy performer. Uh, Chris, why do you have him? Where do you have him? Well, I still have him as a top 100 prospect overall. But he is a little lower due to just the contact skills not being there. Uh, part of me wonders, like, I wish I could see the numbers broken down, like, by month for like contact because it almost seems like he sold out a bit of power for contact in the last month of the year as he hit 302 but he only hit one home run he takes big swings i mean massive hacks at the baseball he's a fan favorite like you go to a ballpark and everybody loves him but i think the power speed is real the contact may hold him back from getting to that power though because across the board the power numbers are good the contact numbers just aren't and you know, it ran a 62% contact rate last year and a 70% zone contact rate. Not great. And that's that's my concern is that he does get held back a little bit because of that. I will say it was encouraging to see him go to AAA and perform better. I mean, his performance in AAA was better than in AA, even though it was a smaller sample. I don't know. I the home runs weren't there, but the batting average was certainly there and the OBP was was much higher. He cut the K rate, as you mentioned, by over 10% in AAA. So you just have to wonder if he like made it. And I need to go back and look and try to watch and see if there was anything tangible like as far as a change made to just make more consistent contact. But if all goes right, I mean, he's an easy 2020 bet, I would guess. And then even if he... So let's say he hits 250. I think he could still give you 25 home runs and steal you some bags as well. That's a enticing fantasy player so i'm a little bit concerned but i'm not like all the way out on him yeah i, I definitely you know the concerns are valid you know i'm not ignoring those at all it's gonna be fun to see what he what he is like what he ends up being at the major league level because he could be very impactful or it could be another one of these you know exciting guys with with the fun tools that just doesn't really make an impact due to you know not, not hitting enough and striking out too much so Definitely a wide range of outcomes there for for Joey Weimer. All right, last ten of our rankings here, and we'll give you some you know some pop up prospect names before we get out of here. Thirty one through forty, because this is another fun range as well. For me, I have James Outman, George Valera, Benny Montgomery, Ed Marlowe, and Christian Vaquero. Thirty one through thirty five, thirty six through forty, Alex Ramirez from the Mets, Heston Kerstad, Everson Pereira. Alec Burleson, and Drew Gilbert. Chris, who you got? I've got Alex Ramirez at 31 from the Mets, followed by Drew Gilbert, Masataka Yoshida, Alexander Canario, Dustin Harris, and then 36-40 being Tyler Gentry, Pedro Leon, Nolan Jones, Alec Burleson, and Yankiel Fernandez. I love Yankiel. He's about five spots lower from me, but like him a lot as well. All right, Chris. Any spot in, in these top 40, real quick before we get out of here, give me give me three names that you think are going to be big risers this year. Miguel Blyce is the easy one. I think the helium's there, but I've been told by scouts he's a top 25 prospect already, so that's I think there's more room to grow into that. So he's a big one. Let's see. In the top 40. Man, the top 40 is like not even deep, so it's like struggling with it. I think Blyce was the clear one. I think Kevin Alcantara can make a jump, too. Agreed, yep. And then Gabriel Gonzalez, I guess, would be my other one that I'd say could really take a step forward. So those three would be mine. But there are some deeper names that I like, too, that aren't in the, the top 40 for me. Who like, are those guys? Yeah, who uh, are those guys? Samuel Zavala is one who I think could really move forward. Everybody's favorite breakout prospect, Josue De Paula. I mean, everybody's in on him at this point. So, yep. And <laughs> I think... Personally, I think this is going to be a big year for Christian Vaquero, where I think he, you know, could really take a step forward. I mean, the tools are there, the body's there, everything you want to see. But in the second professional season and having that full year to potentially just, you know, work out the kinks in this game and really blossom. So those are three deeper ones that I really, I like as well. Yeah. Love all those guys as well. 
some names I'll go. I'll just go down my my list here. Obviously, we already talked about Emmanuel Rodriguez. Uh, I think Chase DeLauder is being slept on. Well, not slept on. He's still considered like top 10 by most people. But I think DeLauder is going to be a big riser this year. Nice power speed blend. Good on base abilities as well. And kind of gets that same kind of treatment that Colton Kowser does because he didn't go to the big school. He went to James Madison in the Colonial Athletic Association. You know, so obviously not a huge school there. You know, James Madison's been a pretty solid baseball program for a while, but not like the big name. But I think he is going to be a big riser up rankings this year and a guy that I'm targeting in every FYPD I can. I think Gavin Cross will rise up rankings a good bit. Again, you know, very solid bat, a little bit of speed as well. So I think he's another guy that's going to like to allow to rise up rankings a good amount. Totally agree on Blaze. Obviously, he's a Red Sox fan. I'm very excited to see what he can do. This year, Gabriel Gonzalez, a lot of guys in Seattle in general. It's funny, they trade away a lot of guys to, you know, build the major league roster, and they still have a very exciting, you know, prospect. So, you know, top 20, especially the top 10, a lot of fun names there as well, including Gabriel Gonzalez. Spencer Jones, obviously, big rise potential there. Benny Montgomery, you know, tools for days, started showing some improvements, you know, in terms of being, you know, pure hitting ability. Later in the year, so I think he's a rise good amount as, as well. I see moving down a little bit. I like Mason Hour. He's already started breaking out this past year. Nice little power speed blend is there as well if he can keep the K rate in check. Same with Lazaro Montez and their Seattle big, strong guy. If he can keep the Ks in check, you know, he could rise up a good amount here. The Pollock definitely co-sign on that one as well. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of fun names at this position. You know, I can give you a little bit lower guys like Jones, I like a good amount as well. You know, Simi Zavala, Jonathan Classe, you know, a lot of breakout potential here at this position. But that will wrap us up here for this Outfield Prospect Rankings episode, our second one of the week. Again, go back and check out our FYPD mock draft with Chris Welsh and Jesse Roche from Monday. That's episode 172. And then check out our second part of this Outfield discussion, our Dynasty Rankings on Friday, episode 174. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us next time for that Outfield Dynasty Rankings episode. But until then, everyone take care. (laughs) 